Chapter forty one of the Memoirs of Jacques Casanova, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Thomas Coos. The Memoirs of Jacques Casanova, Volume Two, Paris and Prison, by Giacomo Casanova, translated by Arthur Mason. Episode Ten, Under the Leads. Chapter Thirty Two, Part One. The Minister of Foreign Affairs, Monsieur de Boulogne, the Comptroller, Monsieur le Duc de Choiseul, Monsieur Paris du Vernet, Establishment of the Lottery, My Brother's Arrival at Paris, His Reception by the Academy. Once more, then, I was in Paris, which I ought to regard as my fatherland since I could return no more to that land which gave me birth, an unworthy country, yet, in spite of all, ever dear to me, possibly on account of early impressions and early prejudices, or possibly because the beauties of Venice are really unmatched in the world. But mighty Paris is a place of good luck or ill, as one takes it, and it is my part to catch the favoring gale. Paris was not wholly new to me. As my readers know, I had spent two years there, but I must confess that, having then no other aim than to pass the time pleasantly, I had merely devoted myself to pleasure and enjoyment. Fortune, to whom I had paid no court, had not opened to me her golden doors, but I now felt that I must treat her more reverently, and attach myself to the throng of her favored sons, whom she loads with her gifts. I understood now that the nearer one draws to the sun, the more one feels the warmth of its rays. I saw that to attain my end I should have to employ all my mental and physical talents, that I must make friends of the great and take cue from all whom I found it to be my interest to please. To follow the plan suggested by these thoughts, I saw that I must avoid what is called bad company, that I must give up my old habits and pretensions, which would be sure to make me enemies, who would have no scruple in representing me as a trifler, and not fit to be trusted with affairs of any importance. I think I thought wisely, and the reader, I hope, will be of the same opinion. I will be reversed, said I, in what I say and what I do, and thus I shall get a reputation for discretion, which will bring its reward. I was in no anxiety on the score of present needs, as I could reckon on a monthly allowance of a hundred crowns, which my adopted father, the good and generous Monsieur de Bregardin, sent me, and I found this sum sufficient in the meanwhile, for with a little self-restraint one can live cheaply at Paris, and cut a good figure at the same time. I was obliged to wear a good suit of clothes, and to have a decent lodging, for in all large towns the most important thing is outward show, by which at the beginning one is always judged. My anxiety was only for the pressing needs for the moment. For, to speak the truth, I had neither clothes nor linen, in a word, nothing. If my relations with the French ambassador are recalled, it will be found natural that my first idea was to address myself to him, as I knew him sufficiently well to reckon on his serving me. Being perfectly certain that the porter would tell me that my lord was engaged, I took care to have a letter, and in the morning I went to the Palais Bourbon. The porter took my letter, and I gave him my address and returned home. Wherever I went, I had to tell the story of my escape from the Leeds, 
this became a service almost as tiring as the flight itself had been as it took me two hours to tell my tale without the slightest bit of fancy work but i had to be polite to the curious inquirers and to pretend that i believed them moved by the most affectionate interest in my welfare in general the best way to please is to take the benevolence of all with whom one has relation for granted i supped at sylvia's and as the evening was quieter than the night before i had time to congratulate myself on all the friendship she showed me the girl was as i had said fifteen years old and i was in every way charmed with her i complimented the mother on the good results of her education and i did not even think of guarding myself from falling victim to her charms i had taken so lately such well-founded and philosophical resolutions and i was not yet sufficiently at my ease to value the pain of being tempted i left at an early hour impatient to see what kind of an answer the minister had sent me i had not long to wait and i received a short letter appointing a meeting for two o'clock in the afternoon it may be guessed that i was punctual and my reception by his excellence was most flattering monsieur de berny expressed his pleasure at seeing me after my fortunate escape and at being able to be of service to me he told me that m m had informed him of my escape and he had flattered himself that the first person i should go see in paris would be himself he showed me the letters from m m relating to my arrest and escape but all the details in the latter were purely imaginary and had no foundation in fact m m was not to blame as she could only write what she had heard and it was not easy for any one besides myself to know the real circumstances of my escape the charming nun said that no longer buoyed up by the hope of seeing either of the men who alone had made her in love with life her existence had become a burden to her and she was unfortunate in not being able to take any comfort in religion c c often comes to see me she said but i grieve to say she is not happy with her husband i told monsieur de berny that the account of my flight from the leads as told by our friend was wholly inaccurate and i would therefore take the liberty of writing out the whole story with the minutest details he challenged me to keep my word assuring me that he would send a copy to m m and at the same time with the utmost courtesy he put a packet of a hundred louis in my hand telling me that he would think what he could do for me and would advise me as soon as he had any communication to make thus furnished with ample funds my first care was for my dress and this done i went to work and in a week sent my generous protector the result giving him permission to have as many copies printed as he liked and to make any use he pleased of it to interest in my behalf such persons as might be of service to me three weeks after the minister summoned me to say that he had spoken of me to monsieur erizzo the venetian ambassador who had nothing to say against me but for fear of embroiling himself with the state inquisitors declined to receive me not wanting anything from him his refusal did me no harm monsieur de Marny then told me that he had given a copy of my history to madame la marquise de pompadour and he promised to take the first opportunity of presenting me to this all-powerful lady 
you can present yourself my dear casanova added his excellence to the duke de choisil and monsieur de boulogne the comptroller you will be well received and with a little wit you ought to be able to make good use of the letter he himself will give you the cue and you will see that he who listens obtains try to invent some useful plan for the royal exchequer don't let it be complicated or chimerical and if you don't write it out at too great length i will give you my opinion on it i left the minister in a pleased and grateful mood but extremely puzzled to find a way of increasing the royal revenue i knew nothing of finance and after racking my brains all that i could think of was new methods of taxation but all my plans were either absurd or certain to be unpopular and i rejected them all on consideration as soon as i found out that monsieur de choisiel was in paris i called on him he received me in his dressing-room where he was writing while his valet did his hair he stretched his politeness so far as to interrupt himself several times to ask me questions but as soon as i began to reply his grace began to write again and i suspect did not hear what i was saying though now and again he seemed to be looking at me it was plain that his eyes and his thoughts were occupied on different objects in spite of this way of receiving visitors or me at all events monsieur de choisiel was a man of wit when he had finished writing he said in italian that monsieur de berny had told him of some circumstances of my escape and he added tell me how you succeeded my lord it would be too long a story it would take me at least two hours and your grace seems busy tell me briefly about it however much i speak to the point i shall take two hours you can keep the details for another time the story is devoid of interest without the details well well you can tell me the whole story in brief without losing much of the interest very good after that i can say no more i must tell your lordship then that the state inquisitors shut me up under the leads that after fifteen months and five days of imprisonment i succeeded in piercing the roof that after many difficulties i reached the chancery by a window and broke open the door afterwards i got to st mark's place whence taking a gondola which bore me to the mainland i arrived at paris and have had the honour to pay my duty to your lordship but what are the leads my lord i should take a quarter of an hour at least to explain how did you pierce the roof i could not tell your lordship in less than half an hour why were you shut up it would be a long tale my lord i think you are right the interest of the story lies chiefly in the details i took the liberty of saying as much to your grace well i must go to versailles but i shall be delighted if you will come and see me sometimes in the meanwhile monsieur casanova think what i can do for you i had been most offended at the way in which monsieur de Chaucille had received me and i was inclined to resent it but the end of our conversation and above all the kindly tone of his last words quieted me and i left him if not satisfied at least without bitterness in my heart from him i went to monsieur de boulogne's and found him a man of quite a different stamp to the duke in manners dress and appearance he received me with great politeness and began by complimenting me on the high place i enjoyed in the opinion of monsieur de berny and on my skill in matters of finance i felt that no compliment had been so ill deserved 
and I could hardly help bursting into laughter. My good angel, however, made me keep my countenance. Monsieur de Boulogne had an old man with him. Every feature bore the imprint of genius, and who inspired me with respect. Give me your views, said the comptroller, either on paper or viva voce. You will find me willing to learn and ready to grasp your ideas. Here is Monsieur Perry de Vernay, who wants twenty millions for his military school, and he wishes to get this sum without a charge on the state or emptying the treasury. It is God alone, sir, who has the creative power. I am not a god said Monsieur de Vernay, but for all that I have now and then created, but the times have changed. Everything, I said, is more difficult than it used to be, but in spite of difficulties, I have a plan which would give the king the interest of a hundred millions. What expense would there be to the crown? Merely the cost of receiving. The nation, then, would furnish the sum in question? Undoubtedly, but voluntarily. I know what you are thinking of. You astonish me, sir, as I have told nobody of my plan. If you have no other engagement, do me the honor of dining with me tomorrow, and I will tell you what your project is. It is a good one, but surrounded, I believe, with insuperable difficulties. Nevertheless, we will talk it over and see what can be done. Will you come? I will do myself that honor. Very good. I will expect you at Plaisance. After he had gone, Monsieur de Boulogne praised his talents and honesty. He was the brother of Monsieur de Montmartel, whom secret history makes the father of Madame de Pompadour, for he was the lover of Madame Poisson at the same time as Monsieur le Normand. I left the comptrollers and went to walk in the Tuileries, thinking over the strange stroke of luck which had happened to me. I had been told that twenty millions were wanted and I had boasted of being able to get a hundred, without the slightest idea of how it was to be done. And on that, a well-known man, experienced in the public business, had asked me to dinner to convince me that he knew what my scheme was. There was something odd and comic about the whole affair, but that corresponded very well with my modes of thought and action. If he thinks he is going to pump me, said I, he will find himself mistaken. When he tells me what the plan is, it will rest with me to say he has guessed it or he is wrong as the inspiration of the moment suggests. If the question lies within my comprehension, I may perhaps be able to suggest something new, and if I understand nothing, I will wrap myself up in a mysterious silence which sometimes produces a good effect. At all events, I will not repulse fortune when she appears to be favorable to me. Monsieur de Bernis had only told Monsieur de Boulogne that I was a financier to get me a hearing, as otherwise he might have declined to see me. I was sorry not to be master, at least, of the jargon of the business, as in that way men have got out of a similar difficulty, and by knowing the technical terms, and nothing more, have made their mark. No matter, I was bound to the engagement. I must put a good face on a bad game, and if necessary pay with the currency of assurance the next morning i took a carriage and in a pensive mood i told the coachman to take me to monsieur de vernay's at plaisance a place a little beyond vincennes i was set down at the door of the famous man who forty years ago had rescued france on the brink of the precipice 
down which law had almost precipitated her. I went in and saw a great fire burning on the hearth, which was surrounded by seven or eight persons, to whom I was introduced as a friend of the Minister for Foreign Affairs and of the Comptroller. Afterwards he introduced these gentlemen to me, giving to each his proper title, and I noted that four of them were treasury officials. After making my bow to each, I gave myself over to the worships of Harpocrates, and, without too great an air of listening, was all ears and eyes. The conversation at first was of no special interest, as they were talking of the scene being frozen over and the ice being a foot thick. Then came the recent death of Monsieur de Fontenelle, then the case of Damien, who would confess nothing, and of the five millions his trial would cost the crown. The coming to war they praised Monsieur de Subice, who had been chosen by the king to command the army. Hence the transition was easy to the expenses of the war, and how they were to be defrayed. I listened and was weary, for all they said was so full of technicalities that I could not follow the meaning. And if silence can ever be imposing, my determined silence of an hour and a half's duration ought to have made me seem a very important personage in the eyes of these gentlemen. At last, just as I was beginning to yawn, dinner was announced, and I was another hour and a half without opening my mouth except to do honor to an excellent repast. Directly the dessert had been served, Monsieur de Vernay asked me to follow him into a neighboring apartment, and to leave the other guests at the table. I followed him, and we crossed a hall where we found a man of good aspect, about fifty years old, who followed us into a closet, and was introduced to me by Monsieur de Vernay under the name of Calsobigi. Directly after, two superintendents of the treasury came in, and Monsieur de Vernay smilingly gave me a folio book, saying, That, I think, Monsieur Casanova, is your plan. I took the book and read, Lottery, consisting of ninety tickets, to be drawn every month, only one in eighteen to be a winning number. I gave him back the book, and said, with the utmost calmness, I confess, sir, that is exactly my idea. You have anticipated, then. The project is by Monsieur de Calsobigi here. I am delighted not at being anticipated, but to find that we think alike. But may I ask you why you have not carried out the plan? Several very plausible reasons have been given against it, which have had no decisive answers. I can only conceive one reason against it, said I coolly. Perhaps the king would not allow his subjects to gamble. Never mind that. The king will let his subjects gamble as much as they like. The question is, will they gamble? I wonder how any one can have any doubt on that score, as the winners are certain of being paid. Let us grant, then, that they will gamble. How is the money to be found? How is the money to be found? The simplest thing in the world. All you want is a decree in council authorizing you to draw on the treasury. All I want is for the nation to believe that the king can afford to pay a hundred millions. A hundred millions? Yes, a hundred millions, sir. We must dazzle people. But if France is to believe that the crown can afford to pay a hundred millions, it must believe that the crown can afford to lose a hundred millions. And who is going to believe that, do you? To be sure I do, for the crown, before 
it could lose a hundred millions would have received at least a hundred and fifty millions and so there need to be no anxiety on that score i am not the only person who has doubts on the subject you must grant the possibility of the crown losing an enormous sum at the first drawing certainly sir but between possibility and reality is all the region of the infinite indeed i may say that it would be a great piece of good fortune if the crown were to lose largely on the first drawing a piece of bad fortune you mean surely a bad fortune is to be desired you know that all the insurance companies are rich i will undertake to prove before all the mathematicians in europe that the king is bound to gain one in five in this lottery that is the secret you will confess that the reason ought to yield to mathematical proof yes of course but how is it that the castelletto cannot guarantee the crown a certain gain neither the castelletto nor any one in the world can guarantee absolutely that the king shall always win what guarantees us against any suspicion of sharp practice is the drawing once a month as then the public is sure that the holder of the lottery may lose will you be good enough to express your sentiments on the subject before the council i will do so with much pleasure you will arrange all objections i think i can promise as much will you give me your plan not before it is accepted and i am guaranteed a reasonable profit but your plan may possibly be the same as the one before us i think not i see monsieur de calsobigi for the first time and as he has not shown me his scheme and i have not communicated mine to him it is improbable not to say impossible that we should agree in all respects besides in my plan i clearly show how much profit the crown ought to get per annum it might therefore be formed by a company who would pay the crown a fixed sum i think not why for this reason the only thing which would make the lottery pay would be an irresistible current of public opinion in its favor i should not care to have anything to do with it in the service of a company who thinking to increase their profits might extend their operations a course which would entail certain loss i don't see how in a thousand ways which i will explain to you another time and which i am sure you can guess for yourself in short if i am to have any voice in the matter it must be a government lottery or nothing monsieur de Casalbini thinks so too i am delighted to hear it but not at all surprised for thinking on the same lines we are bound to arrive at the same results have you anybody ready for the castelletto i shall only want intelligent machines for whom there are plenty in france i went out for a moment and found them in groups on my return discussing my project with great earnestness monsieur castelbigi after asking me a few questions took my hand which he shook heartily saying he should like to have some further conversation with me and returning the friendly pressure i told him that i should esteem it as an honor to be numbered amongst his friends thereupon i left my address with monsieur du vernay and took my leave satisfied by my inspection of the faces before me that they all had a high opinion of my talents end of chapter forty one Recording by John Thomas Coos, www.johncoos.com.